Father, we uh, come before you and we ask that you would teach us and guide us by your Holy Spirit with the insights that only you can provide. Uh, Earthly language is worth only so much, but understanding comes completely from you. And so we ask for understanding as we go through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When you guys start out on a brand new job, think back to your first job that you ever had. They gave you an example of what to do. They probably took you around from station to station or task to task. They gave you maybe a tool or a pencil or a notepad, whatever it was, and you were required to learn that particular task. Sometimes they'd bring people forward and they would actually operate a piece of machinery or they'd type on a computer or they'd stack things the way they're supposed to be stacked or they'd operate a forklift or whatever the case was, you were given instruction on how to do that. Most of the time, it would be a hands-on instruction with somebody doing it for you first. That's how my first job was. I'm sure that's how your first job was. And as that individual set forth an example, they'd say, you do it like this. And they would cut the board or do whatever they had to do. And you would follow that example. And they'd say, now you try it. That is the chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. God is parading all of these people before us and saying, See, look at Abel. See, look at Abraham. See, look at Noah. This is what Noah did. This is what Abraham did. This is what Jephthah did. This is what, and you fill in the blank, all the people from the Old Testament, David and Solomon and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all of those guys were set forth as an example. Just like if you had a new job, they would give you somebody and set that person before you. And you look back on that individual and you say, wow, that person was indispensable in my training. I am so blessed by that person that they took the time and they instructed me. And they didn't have to do that. They could have been completely selfish in their efforts. But they decided, no, I'm going to train up this next person. And again, this is why we have the list of these individuals where Abel did what was right in the eyes of the eyes of the Lord and Enoch pleased God. Noah feared the Lord. Abraham trusted God. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph looked to and spoke about the future. Moses forsook the world and its benefits, traded them for the disgrace, and chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. And what does the Bible say about these individuals afterwards? Verse 38 of Hebrews chapter 11. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. So these individuals, God says that the world was not worthy of them. Even the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22, verse 22, the Jews said that he was not fit to live and he told of himself or wrote of himself, He has become the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things. So those people that stick with the Lord, that operate in faith, that are a witness to those who are in this life at any time that they exist, they are the ones that are giving it all, and we are to mimic what they have done. We are to maintain our faith the same way that they did. So with this idea of faith and this hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, we're to understand that To be pleasing to God, we first must have faith. Faith that he is able to save us. And with that, the understanding 
that comes with the faith. We don't want to have a blind faith. Secondly, faith looks to a future and a future hope. We don't just simply look at the circumstances in which we dwell and judge God by our circumstances. If we do that, we're making a horrible mistake. Do you find yourself in a terrible financial bind right now? Are you having a relationship issue that you just can't deal with? And then you turn to God as a result and say, why doesn't he change this? Why doesn't he turn this around? And you know, God turns back to us and says, no, this is for you. This is specifically for you. This has been molded before you as a test, as a trial, something that will benefit you. And we're going, no, I don't want this trial. Give this trial to somebody else. I was just talking to somebody this last weekend here about why didn't God make us all millionaires? Why didn't he just give us the money and make our lives a little bit easier? Why didn't he just give us the wealth? Well, obviously, he didn't intend that, right? Because it would have destroyed some of us. It would have taken some of us away from him. Remember, if you trust in your riches, a rich man, it's harder for him to get into, the, uh, into heaven than for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle. The point Jesus was making was it was impossible. Not that if you're rich, it's impossible to get to heaven. It's just these types of things are impossible as far as humanity is concerned. And so... Going on with this, this faith looks to a future hope, something that is coming. And we look to the hope. I'm looking right now for the rapture. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to that. And my wife told me I wouldn't be able to resist this, and she's right. (laughs) There was this article, I don't know if you guys saw it, this last weekend of a Swedish company. And there was a journalist in this Swedish company, went there, And he said, this is a brand new technique for organizing their workforce. He took and became part of their workforce temporarily, where they take a chip and they showed the video, put it in his hand right here. After that, he walked around, opened up the door. He went over to the printer, started the printer. He could go down to the cafe He could buy everything at the cafe. And the guy who was in charge of this program saying, he was Swedish, it was a wonderful program. You know, a program where you could go around and you could just do everything in this building. Nothing was withheld from you if you had the chip. And if you didn't have the chip, you could not access everything. Funny, what does that sound like to you? Sounds like the mark of the beast, right? The mark of the beast. You are not allowed to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. And the reason that they're doing this in this company is the guy said, you know what? We're going to be ready because this is so readily available to everyone. We want to be on the cutting edge of it when these big companies, these big corporations come to you and say, would you like to use this? We will be right at the tip of the spear when this is implemented. Now, I see that. And it's, it's online. I first saw it on uh, Drudge Report. I can get you the article if you're interested in that. I had my wife watch it and also read the article, and I have it at home. And she was right. I couldn't resist telling you about it. I was going to save it for a particular time. But we have this hope. Wow, when you see that, the mark of the beast, the implementation of it, that's not the mark of the beast. But you see that that's the precursor. When you see that type of thing, you go, wow, everything God said in the Bible is true as far as prophecy is concerned. If you see this... 
And if this is what lies ahead, we have a hope that God is going to get us before his wrath comes, which is the tribulation period. That's why faith looks forward. Why we look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is Titus 2.13. Also, when we have this hope, we maintain it. We maintain this faith even though suffering may ensue. And that means if we're going through difficulty, just like these people in the hall of faith, they went through tremendous difficulty. We still hold on to it. Even Job said, though he slay me, yet while I trust in him, we don't look at our circumstances and walk away from God. Also, in the same faith, it reiterates the point, some were delivered and some suffered. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22 says, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That is an exhortation, no matter how difficult it gets as a believer. In this life, we are to maintain the course. We are to go forward towards Christ, looking for that blessed hope, his return, to come and redeem us. Also, we are supposed to run to get the prize like those in the hall of faith. And there is an illustration of this in chapter 12, and we'll get right into that, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So as we look at this, and we'll get into verse 2 and 3 here in a second. As we look at this, we have this great cloud of witnesses. Now, obviously, what this is referring to, they had the Olympic Games, so to speak, back then. They had games, and they would, they would fill their coliseums, and there would be runners, and there would be wrestlers, and there would be javelin throwers, and there would be shot putters, and all of that would take place, the decathlon and the pentathlon, and all these types of things that would take place. You would have this crowd around like in a hippodrome you guys know what a hippodrome is that is in ben-hur when he's running around with that chariot over there and there's bad things going on and people dying and getting chewed up and it's really bad but there was thousands of people around this hippodrome and they're all looking we have a great cloud of witnesses that are observing now you might say well what does that mean like the angels, they're longing to look into our salvation. But I don't think that that's primarily what this means. I think primarily what this means, since it's taken right after Hebrews chapter 11, is those in the hall of faith. Those in the hall of faith are saying, we've gone through it, now it's your turn. You go through it, and then you will join us in this stadium, and you will watch, you will observe how others exercise their faith. And when, if you are metaphorically speaking, a gladiator for Christ and you are out there winning, what's the crowd going to do? Yeah, touchdown, right? Yeah, they're just going to go at it. They're going to say, way to go. Oh, man, that is so awesome that you are persevering. And if you just take your sword, you go, I quit, and you throw it down, and you take your helmet off, and you just walk away, what do you think the crowd's going to do? Yeah, oh, they're, they're going to condemn you, Right? Because that's what's happening in the book of Hebrews because they wanted to go back to the old sacrificial system. The writer of this book of Hebrews says, if you do that, there's no sacrifice left for sin. You are still lost in your sins. And so with this great cloud of witnesses will cheer us on, even those who are currently alive, when they see you acting in such a way to exercise your faith, they just go, wow, how awesome what you are doing for the Lord. Keep it up. Keep training, keep moving forward. So he also says here, throw off. Let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, what could, you can do this, I want you to just call it out. What could hinder you, not sin, but what could hinder you in your walk with God? (laughs) Oh, the Super Bowl could hinder you in your walk with God. Now that is true. If you go home and you paint your face and you sequester yourself in a back room, and, yeah, it might hinder you a little bit, but then you may just be having a great time. What else could hinder you? Business? Busyness can hinder you. Yes. Yes, that's why my backyard's not landscaped, even though I'm a landscaper. It's just, uh, just kill the weeds and let it go, right? I have a little bit of lawn back there, but I'm not interested. It's like, okay, I need to do something back there eventually, and I'll get to it maybe before I die. I don't know, but I'll, I'll do something back there. We don't want to get sidetracked. You know, there's so many things that we can be involved in. Your house. Now, we have to maintain our houses. We have to be good stewards. But then there's maintaining, and then there's maintaining. You know, you make it like the USS Enterprise. It has everything in there, every whistle and bell, and you make it smart, and the doors open, and you take your chip and go around the house and start your washing machine. All of that stuff. Yeah, you could be preoccupied. But if we have a place to lay our head, a bed to put our head on, isn't that sufficient for us if that's what God wants us to have? So these things can hinder us. You know, I see these... um, Adult sports leagues like these softballs and things like that. And that's fun. That is a lot of fun. And when we went to Ireland, we actually um, played uh, Ireland softball adult team. And it was really good to do that. But could you make it something that hinders you? Yes, you could. And, but it's fun. Hey, I will be the first to say that is a blast. Or like these bowling leagues. I love to bowl. I think bowling is great. You go out there and bowl. But what if you bowled Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? I love to roller skate. I could roller skate every single day. I I would love to get out there and do what's called rexing, right? We could do some rexing out on the, the roller skate floor. But you do too much of that stuff, it can easily hinder you. So he's talking first of a category, that which hinders you. And then sin, which so easily entangles. Now, we don't have to mention what the sin is. It can be several sins. It can be lust, alcoholism. It can be uh, greed. It can be envy. It can be strife. It can be jealousy. It can be anger. All of those things that rise up in the flesh, and we hold on to them. We justify why we're holding on to them. And the author here in Hebrews is saying, Throw those things off and get rid of the sin that entangles you. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So imagine a foot race. You have a a race where everybody has to maintain their own uh, track, a place in the track. You know how they line those areas around the track and you're supposed to maintain yourself inside of that and as you're running around. What do you do when you see a track star coming up in the Olympics? He gets out there and he has his warm-up on or she has her warm-up on. She takes it off and she shakes her legs a little bit, you know, and she's moving her arms and then puts the hands down and puts it back like this and looks down and then looks up and gets all ready and puts the head down and wait for the gun sound and the rear end's up in the air and it's, she's ready to take off or he's ready to take off. That's how the Olympics works. 
just like that, we're supposed to take off the things that are hindering. Make sure that we discipline ourselves to do what is right, that we don't get engaged in sin. Then we get down in the stocks and we're holding our fingers right on the line. You know how they put their fingers right next to the line but not over it. We need to get as far ahead as we can so that when we take off, we're ready to jut out of the block. Normally as Christians, do we do that? <laughs> no. And I'm not saying this is a way to condemn. I'm saying this, this is what I do. You know, did I work out this week? Well, a little bit, you know. I worked out a little bit, you know. You see what I'm talking about? And if you're not after actually sweating, you know how they have the saying, no pain, no gain. Personally, I like the one, no pain, no pain. I like that one a lot better. But this idea that we're not giving ourselves to the effort of being a disciple. And then when you're down on the stocks, your backside is up in the air and you're ready to take off and you're waiting for that gun. What does the runner do? Does the runner do this? No, he doesn't. His head is straight forward, his forehead's down, and his beady eyes are right on that line. And he is moving. She is moving. Those arms are going back and forth. I love those slow motion, right? The lips are going everywhere, and the arms are going like this. And you see the rippling of the muscles on the thighs, and you're just going, wow, they are really moving. And then when they stretch out in slow motion, the neck extends about 10 inches more so they can get over the line. Do you run like that as a Christian? I mean, are you down in the stocks? I'm ready to go. And as soon as the opportunity comes, you are jetting out of there, and you are moving like Superman runs. Right? You are just going as fast as you can and you have your sights set on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. You're not getting distracted by the things of the world. You're not looking at the other runners going, hey, hey, you know, something like that. You are going forward. This is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. This is what God wants us to know. Throw off these things that hinder, get rid of the sin, and fix your eyes on Jesus. And he goes on, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, in um, sporting events, have you ever felt like yelling, like in high school, have you ever felt like yelling at a sporting event something to one of the players that you didn't like? Have you ever been to a hockey game? Now, that's a classic, right? You go to the hockey game. We went to this one hockey game, just a little story here. We went to a hockey game once, and this they were up right against the glass, you know, and they're banging up against the glass, and this guy was right next to the glass, and he brought out this mask that had a mouth this, I'm not kidding you, it had a mouth this long, and he stuck his face right up to the glass to distract the guy who was on the other side of the glass, and you could see him look at what's going on, and he got distracted, and he took off again. Now, as you are doing what you're doing for Christ, there are going to be people who want to distract you, to get you off your track, to keep you from running forward. I know somebody in here who will remain unnamed that when they were in parochial school, they actually tripped a nun. (laughs) We won't say who that is. But when Yolanda did that, you know, it was just... (laughs) I'm sorry I ratted you out, Leona. <laughs> you know, she, 
the nun was trying to do something good. And how was it? You were standing in line and you just went like this? Is that what you did? And so she, she wanted to hinder the nun from doing her job. There are going to be people that come along and they want to hinder you from doing your job. They want to be the ones who oppose you and say, don't do it like that. Don't go forward. You want to make sure that you're doing everything for the Lord. And these people that come along and they're yelling at you, like if you're a runner and you're going by and they say something to you that's derogatory. Oh, you can't run. You know, something like that. What are you supposed to do? Ah, forget it. Or, you know, I used to do wrestling. And in high school, my dad would show up. My dad actually got kicked out of one of the, uh, he would, you know, he didn't like the ref. Hey, ref, you don't know what you're doing. You know, and the ref stops the whole match and he goes up, you, out, like that. And my dad had to leave. And there's other people, oh, you're so weak, oh, you're, and they used to have this name of a fish. If you were a wrestler and you weren't very good, they'd say, oh, you're such a fish, like that. And, you know, you'd look up and get distracted. We weren't supposed to be distracted. We were supposed to just continue with what's going on. People are going to turn to you and they're going to say, you need to stop what you're doing. What you're doing is not helping anybody. Let me give you an example and I'll close with this. This is off of the Internet. It was posted in February 28th, 2013. Six things that Christians should stop saying. Another, and by the way, this person, a speaker, author, counselor to congregations, ambassador to the Council on the Parliament of the World's Religions, and spiritual teacher. <laughs> His name is Steve McSwain. Six things Christians should stop saying as you're running by. You can't run. This is what he's doing. Number one, you should stop saying the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And he gives an explanation. I'm just going to give you the titles here. Secondly, he said, Christians should stop saying, we just believe the Bible. Thirdly, Christians should stop saying, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Christians should stop saying, the rapture of Jesus is imminent. Christians should stop saying, homosexuality is a chosen lifestyle and it is a sin against God. By the way, it's just one of many sins. It's not the greatest sin. It's just one of many sins. Sixth, the earth is less than 10,000 years old. So here's a guy who is the ambassador to the council on the parliament for the world's religions. And he doesn't like what Christians have to say. Now, all of these things, I believe that. I believe the earth is under 10,000 years old. I also believe the universe is probably over 14 billion years old. And you might say, how can you do that? Well, that's a discussion for another time. But this idea that some would come along and say, do not talk about your faith. Do not talk about Christ. Do not say these colloquialisms. Do not give these one little, two little, three little propositional statements like God is love, those types of things. Don't do that. Because it's offensive to those who are out there. I'm telling you, put your head down, your hiney up, your eyes forward. You just jet out of there. And the people that are in the Hippodrome or in the Colosseum and they're watching you are going to cheer. And when you are ushered into heaven, the angels are just going to be flying all around going, There he is! There she is! Yeah, we've been waiting for them! They're the one! Look at them! And you're going to go, What? Me? What? 
and they're going to say that I know for one of my daughters. She's not here so I can talk about her. And I've mentioned this before. She went out and she gave pedicures to the homeless. And I, I think about that and I go, oh, ah. and she did that. You know, I'm just going, wow, an act of kindness like that. And then you can get into the whole debate, do they deserve it or do they not deserve it? I don't know if we should be helping the homeless like that. We should just incarcerate them all and then sort it all out at the end. What, whatever you think about that, she was moving forward and she was doing it for Christ's sake. My encouragement to you, worship like there's no tomorrow. Follow Jesus Christ like you'll never have another opportunity to do so. Just like you would love your husband or wife if you knew you were going to die tomorrow. Do this on a daily basis. Keep forward. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can worship. We thank you for the instruction and the understanding that only you can bring. We ask that you would bless all of our efforts as we strive to do what is right in your eyes. And when we fail, we will call upon you for your mercy and grace because you said you will provide it freely. And we know that we have an advocate with the Father when we do mess up. And that is you, Jesus. And we thank you for your care, for your providence, for your watching over us. And we ask that you would use us in whatever small or big way to do things for your kingdom. Help us to be excited about it. Help us to remain focused. Help us to run in an unhindered fashion. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...